the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite all those up through the eighth grade to come forward as we listen to our Heavenly Harmonies Young Choir. Okay, we're ready for you. Go ahead, choir. Thank you, Heavenly Harmonies. Thank you so much. It took a lot of work to prepare that. These are some of our young people who practice every, well, on Sunday mornings uh, between this service and the next service. And we have a younger choir, too, that practices as well. If you ever want to be in the choir, let us know, and we'll put you in the, in the, in the children's choir, okay? If you have good voices, we'd love to have you. But anyway, thank you, Heavenly Harmonies. Um, so we're getting close to the end of the church year. In fact, next Sunday is our last Sunday of the church year where we see Jesus seated on his throne in heaven. And so today, the gospel lesson is helping us to prepare, uh, to prepare ourselves for these hard times that the world will be going through and has been going through and is going through. 
um, these hard times that we go through, but to keep our eyes on Jesus, always keep our eyes on Jesus as he is seated on his heavenly throne and he says, everything will be okay because I'm in charge, Jesus says. Jesus says, I'm in charge. And if you keep your eyes on me, it's going to be good. It's going to be wonderful. And there'll be a new heaven, the prophet Isaiah says today. A new heaven and a new earth. And we will all get to love one another. And even the lion will lay down with the lamb. You know where they normally eat each other, right? But in this case, everything's going to be wonderful and peaceful and loving and holy and good when, all, when, when the Lord comes again. And so we're preparing ourselves to prepare ourselves. That's what the lesson's all about today. Just be ready. Always be ready for Jesus' coming. Always keep your eyes on Jesus. And if you do that, if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you will be ready. You will be ready. Okay? I don't want to keep you long because of the wonderful music we had. So thank you for coming up here. And if you want to get a, a packet to color... You can get that from Mr. Music, then you go sit, sit back down with your grandparents or your parents. Okay? Thank you for coming up today. You want to get a packet to color? Yeah, grab one and then you can go sit down again. Sorry, I was sitting there watching the kids. <laughs> I forgot. Oh, I'm next. <laughs> Good morning. I just want a small waiver kind of thing. Um, when I finished writing this sermon, I was kind of like, okay, this is not really what I thought I was going to say. But it's your choice, God. So I gave him like three days to change his mind, and he never did, so... Anyway, so I was telling him this morning, I said, okay, everything's on you then. And he I turned on the radio, and, he, and he's so good about this. He goes, okay, here's your song for today. And it's called Jesus is Coming Back. So, so, you know, what I'm saying today is exactly all we need to hear. Jesus is coming back. He promised he would. He will. And that's our celebration. All right? But before then, we got a lot to go through. So, imagine, if you will, the Jerusalem of Jesus' time. The temple would be front and center of all that you could hope to see. And what a temple it was. Forty-six years in the making, glistening with gold, so much so that the people could not look upon it during the brightest part of the day. And imagine the walls so white that they looked like snow-capped peaks to those who journeyed on the road to the city. It was built of stones weighing in various places as much or as little as one ton, which is still a lot, or in some places as much as 50 tons. Lampstands in the court of women stood 86 feet high, made of a single pillar of stone. The temple walls closed in almost four acres of land. This was a place of great beauty, and the Jewish people knew it 
And they didn't idolize the building, but they were so proud of it. Listen to what they said today. Some of them spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts for God. Can't you just hear the pride in their voices? Look what we Jews have accomplished. Have you ever seen such a fine building? God should be happy with us with what we have done for him. And like with an inflated balloon, Jesus takes a pin to it and draws their attention back to himself with this warning. These things that you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, I want to let you know that some of those stones were stones heaped upon stones that began 65 feet deep in the ground. And according to Josephus, the historian, you could not get a piece of paper between those stones. So, of course, the people are going, what? Wait, when, how? Tell us what to look for so we can prevent this. After all, 46 years is no chopped liver, right? But Jesus has their attention as he wanted, and he moves on to what he really wants to tell them. When I read his prophecy, I'm first struck by the callousness of it. I mean, he says, this temple's not going to last. It's going to be rubble someday, and all your work will have been for nothing. But I can't imagine that Jesus is callous. Tough sometimes, but not callous. He knows how much this temple means to them, but he's trying to teach them that something new is in the works. Something that doesn't require a glorious temple to house it. And his concern is not for the temple, which is his temple, by the way, as he pointed out when he trashed it, all those vendors within it, when he said, my father's house, which means his house. Now, his concern is for the temple within the people who are holding on to a thing as opposed to a promise. So he tells them, and this is the part where we come in, he tells them not to be deceived by the many who will come in his name falsely. Don't trash your own temple with their lies. Fakes will come and try to take your attention off of Jesus. Don't do it. They will spew words of peace without substance. They will talk about humanistic things that sound so justifiable. But don't be fooled. Their path is not the way. Jesus is the way. And wars and famines and plagues will come along to take your attention off of Jesus. Don't do it. These things are a part of the corruption of this world. And as hard as it may be to say, Jesus warns us. We're part of the corruption. We are a part of that corruption that began so long ago. And these things will not be made right until Jesus returns. So don't focus your hopes or your despair on them. Only Jesus is life. 
People will try by torture, by prison, by death even, to take your attention off Jesus. Don't do it. Many martyrs have gone before us who have spoken of the beauty of being with Christ in those last minutes of their lives here on earth. And while we seem far removed from the barbaric things that non-believers are doing, have done, and will do to Christians, we are neither immune nor invulnerable in this country. Jesus says that even our families and friends will betray us. I know he must have had his own betrayal in mind when he said this. But even now, we have so many things that family and friends say or do that distract us from Jesus. And many times, we let those things seep into our faith and weaken it. But don't do it. Hold tight to what you know to be true. Jesus is truth. In all of this, Jesus tells them, he tells us, not to take our eyes off of him. He promises to be there and to give us words that cannot be refuted or contradicted. He promises that the worst that can happen to us is that we lose this life to gain our souls. Through all of this, I can imagine Jesus preparing himself for the great sacrifice that he will make, that he must make. And I can hear him weeping on the inside for those who choose not to listen. Just as he wept outside of Jerusalem as he approached the city. Deep anguish, heavy heart, searching for the lost people of Israel and knowing they would refuse him. Jesus tells us to keep our eyes on him throughout our lives. If we believe he is the son of God, this should not be hard to understand. If we don't, if we see him as a great prophet or a great preacher, or teacher with gifted words, or if we just aren't sure what we think of him, then no amount of church attendance or Bible study or rubbing shoulders with good people is going to make that happen. We must, each of us, come to a decision about Jesus on our own. Either he is our Lord and Savior, or he is not. Fence sitting was never an option with the apostles. Hedging bets was never an option with the martyrs. Even weighing the pros and cons don't help, doesn't help. He's already told us the cost is high, but he also says the yoke is easy and the reward is greater than you can imagine. We all need to sit down one-on-one -on -one with the Savior of the world and come to choose. In our heart of hearts, we need to ask him to give us what we need to make that decision. Give him an open door. Allow him to build his temple within us. 
But whatever choice we come to, we have to make one. For those of us who are praying for others who do not yet believe in Jesus, either in our families or our circle of friends, I say to you, don't give up hope. Jesus hears those prayers and he understands that anguish. That calling, that ministry to pray is to be in constant prayer, to be fervent in hope and to be expectant in results. Don't take your eyes off Jesus. Do not take your eyes off of Jesus.